Brian Koberger wants his indictment thrown out for some clerical errors. Is Rex Huerman a suspect in the missing sex workers in Las Vegas? Well, he happened to have a timeshare there. Former President Trump indicted yet again. What is there not to like about a woman who is good with a knife and a hammer and knows creative ways to tamper with DNA evidence? And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Well, let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment. Hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. All right. Let's go ahead and open the record for August 15th, 2023. And the first case on the docket. Yes, let's call it Brian Koberger. He wants his indictment thrown out or in the alternative, at least give him a preliminary hearing. Now, for those of you that may not recall, Brian Koberger says the grand jury that indicted him was flawed. That's the argument being made by his attorneys. And uh, like I said, Brian Koberger has been indicted for the deaths of four college students there in Moscow, Idaho last year, and he's entered pleas of not guilty. Now, his attorneys are doing their job and they're challenging everything they can do to uh, represent him to do it both legally and ethically. That's their job, and he is facing the death penalty, so they're gonna be a little more aggressive to say the least. Well, today we're gonna to talk about the challenge to the grand jury indictment that they're making. Now, before ever reviewing the grand jury materials to determine if there was an actual violation of the Idaho Grand Jury Selection and Service Act, Brian Koberger, through his attorneys, filed a motion to stay the case so they could actually look at the transcripts to determine if there was in fact a violation, even though they filed a motion saying there was a violation before they had actually looked at anything. I know, think about that. Well, the judge said you hadn't made a showing yet, but I'm gonna give you basically 37 days in which to come up with something, and they have, but it was filed under seal, so we don't have it. But what wasn't filed under seal was the prosecutor's response. And well, let's take a look at it. The prosecutors argue that uh, this motion was done not with any good faith at all, but was simply done to grind this litigation to a halt. Now, remember, the speedy trial clock is ticking. And when the prosecutor is working on motions responding that are could potentially be deemed frivolous, they're not working on the preparation of their case. So, like I said, the court granted that partial stay to allow the defense to come up with stuff, and this is what they came up with. Well, first, they're saying the jury is uh, biased uh, because somebody made some statements and by statements made by the court. Now, we don't know what those comments exactly were, but let's face it. If somebody made some statements that were prejudicial to Brian Koberger, they wouldn't have been on the grand jury. And if they made statements during the questioning of witnesses, uh, that is not in and of itself anything that's going to get a, a grand jury thrown out. Now, I don't know what the judge said either, but I'm assuming the judge knew what boundaries of which he could say and couldn't say about the case. Probably something to the fact that it was high profile, things of that nature. Seems pretty unlikely the court's going to throw out the grand jury indictment because of that. Second, the defense alleges that the grand jury should have come from a separate list of jurors exclusively for grand jurors. And they cited a statute saying that, well, you should have a list for petite jurors, you know, people that show up for jury duty or grand jurors. But the statute actually says that the list can be made up of either grand jurors 
or grand jury. It's an or, not mutually exclusive. So that argument should fail as well. Third, they want the um, believe that there was a clerical error. There was some sort of exclusion of some information on the questionnaire that must invalidate the entire grand jury process. Probably a formality that a case number or something got cut off when making copies or something to that effect. Once again, don't think that's going to be enough to get the case thrown out. And then finally, someone checked the box that said they didn't speak English. Now it is a requirement to be able to speak English to serve on a jury, whether a grand jury or a petite jury, you know, the ones you show up for for jury duty. You have to be able to speak English because that's how the evidence is presented. Well, you also have to presume that if they couldn't speak English and it was checked, they wouldn't have been permitted to be on the grand jury. So unless there was something there, I just don't see it. In reality, this is a weak argument that the defense is making, and I believe that it should be and will be denied. And we're making that obviously without the uh, defense motion or the affidavit uh, that they uh, filed in this particular case. Now remember, a trial date is scheduled for October 2nd, although a lot of people anticipate that a delay will be likely um, here shortly. I don't know. I kind of like the aggressive uh, tactic of the defense counsel in this case saying, hey, you charged it. Let's go do this thing. You know, we know they have a DNA expert. Let's litigate this stuff and let's do it. There's supposed to be a hearing on the 18th, which is Friday. We'll let you know what happens. Now, just remember, as a defense attorney, I get what they're trying to do. The defense attorneys for Brian Koberger are trying to create an appellate record down the road. Although I think this issue is somewhat weak, they're making the record. They'd probably be better focusing on actually defending their case, as you may recall. They got to explain away that uh, pesky little fact that uh, their client's DNA is on that knife sheath on the uh, K-bar sheath that was found underneath some of the victims. I think you need to come up, maybe spend a little more time on that. But hey, that's just me. I get it. They're doing their job. Next on the docket, old Rex Heuerman. That's right, the accused Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Heuerman is off suicide watch as he remains behind bars, obviously accused um, of being responsible for the death of multiple women. Now, apparently fans are going by the detention center and trying to see Mr. Heuerman, but he's not speaking to any of them, probably on sound advice of his attorneys to keep his mouth shut. But that's right, Mr. Heuerman already has a bunch of groupies, maybe because his wife has filed for divorce and now everybody wants to hang out with the guy. I just don't get it. Maybe, you know, if he's going to tell me if he did it, I'd be interested in sitting down talking with him, but not just to hang out like, you know, hey, we're going to hang out and have a couple of drinks together. I don't think so. Well, the next question is, is Mr. Heuerman responsible for several deaths of sex workers in Las Vegas? Well, Heuerman owned a timeshare in Las Vegas, and uh, police there are looking to see if any of the unsolved cases in Las Vegas can be linked to, that's right, Mr. Heuerman. Heuerman has owned a timeshare in Las Vegas. One was from uh, 2004 until he sold it in 2013, and a second one that he owns with his wife that he bought back in 2005. Now, Las Vegas officials have not said if any disappearances or murders there show any ties to the Manhattan architect, whose at least five sex workers uh, died under similar circumstances uh, there in Las Vegas, but they are checking into it. 
And, you know, eventually they'll go around to checking some of that DNA, I'm sure. All right, next on the docket. That's right, former President Trump indicted again. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is nonpartisan. We're just reporting the facts. So let's just go with it here. Now, a Georgia grand jury on Monday evening, almost almost about 11 p.m. last night, indicted former President Trump um, and 18 co-defendants with 41 counts related to the alleged attempt to overthrow the 2020 presidential election. One of the charges includes racketeering. So a lot of those charges are actually predicate acts. Now, the grand jury charged all 19 co-defendants with one count of violating the Georgia's Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organization Act. It's like a state federal RICO. And the indictment alleges that uh, rather than abide by the Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election results. And the Fulton County District Attorney, Fannie Willis, whose office brought the case, said at the late night news conference that a conviction in the RICO Act carries a mandatory five-year sentence, which uh, may be served in prison on probation or a combination of the two at the judge's discretion. Now, all of the defendants have been ordered to appear no later than August 25th, and um, the prosecutor says that she is ready to present her case within six months of their appearance on the indictment. Now, here's where things are really going to get interesting. As you know, former President Trump has never had a mugshot taken on his case in New York, uh, Florida, and D.C. But the local sheriff has said that um, he just assumes the former president will have to pose for a mugshot because he's going to follow the procedures unless he's basically told otherwise. So we'll just have to wait and see if this is a criminal case, political hack job, or whether there truly was a violation, a jury will decide. Now, the district attorney had no word on when Stacey Abrams will be indicted, uh, since she too had claimed that every election that she's ever lost in Georgia was rigged and corrupt. We'll have to wait and see. Like I said, justice or political hit job. And then next on the docket, what is not to like about a good woman with skills with a knife and hammer and who knows new ways to uh, tamper with DNA evidence? That's right. A Florida woman suspected of murder um, has an additional charge after she asked police for a soda and then poured it all over herself in an attempt to scrub forensics evidence from her body, according to the police affidavit. Now, Nicole Max was charged with tampering with evidence and resisting arrest with violence and premeditated first-degree murder in the death of a 79-year-old man, her roommate, Michael Sarah Soli. Now, firefighters were called to a home on July 1st. Apparently, clothes on the second floor had been set on fire. After the firefighters quickly extinguished the flames, the first responders found Sarah Soli lying face down in a blood-spattered room. He had suffered some blunt force trauma to the head and a stab wound to the torso. Now, the dead man's landlord told police that Max was his other tenant. We couldn't find Miss Max. Well, two cell phones were recovered near the um, corpse. One belonged to the victim, while the other, which had a bloodied knife balanced on top of the cell phone, belonged to Miss Max. 
Now, less than two hours later, police were able to spot a barefooted Max with blood on her leg and a ripped shirt outside of a restaurant in a nearby community. When the police approached her, she allegedly dropped a knife and hammer to her feet. She denied knowing Sarah Soli when detectives showed a photograph of the deceased man. When pressed, um, she ultimately conceded that she knew the man, but denied seeing him that day. Then she shifted again, telling police that she currently lived with Sarah Soli and was at the home earlier that day. Well, the police then took Ms. Max into custody for questioning. And after she was read her Miranda rights, uh, Max told detectives that uh, she never entered Sarasoli's bedroom and only set foot on the second floor of their shared apartment to feed her spiders. Interesting choice of pets. When asked about the weapons that she had dropped near her feet, Ms. Max apparently became agitated and asked for a lawyer. Police returned a little bit later with a warrant to test the woman's bloody body for some DNA evidence. Well, Miss Max, being not only good with a hammer and knife, apparently has some cat-like reflexes when it comes to making quick decisions, asked the officers for a can of Diet Mountain Dew. Well, the police obliged because you don't want them to think that they requested water or a drink and you denied them that because that's some sort of torture or something. So they gave it to her. Miss Max then began to resist the police as she poured the can of soda all over her body and her hair, pulling away from officers in an attempt to interfere with the evidence being collected, according to the police affidavit. Police then allegedly forced uh, a pulling uh, Miss Max um, away from the soda, and there was blood on the knife found near Sarasoli's body that matched the samples taken from Max's clothing. Her DNA was later recovered on the weapon's of the handles as well. Now, little known fact, apparently artificial sweetener, AKA Splenda, also found in Diet Mountain Dew and other sodas, can apparently break down the genetic material that actually makes up DNA. I don't know how long that's supposed to take, but I don't think it was long enough when it was poured from a Diet Mountain Dew can. Next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet Jeremy Welshans. That's right. Little Brazen, this young man, engaged in theft, theft of a van. And he was so bold, he drove past the sheriff's office, the detention center, and then old Jeremy decided to take his criminal escapades to a whole new level of stupidity. He managed to get his hands on a white 2020 GMC Savannah U-Haul cargo van rented to Aaron's instead of laying low and trying to avoid detection, Jeremy went on a sightseeing tour across the city and the county. Instead of taking some little less conspicuous routes, Jeremy drove the stolen U-Haul right past the W.C. Dub Brazel Adult Detention Center, which happens to be right next door to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office in downtown Pine Bluff. Poor decision-making, clearly. Needless to say, it didn't take long for the police to catch up with Jeremy and ultimately recover the U-Haul, those pesky surveillance cameras. So, Jeremy, well, Shanj, you have earned your right to be a dumb criminal of the day. Hope you take this as a lesson to rethink some of your life choices. That's right, because you're now facing felony theft charges and having warrants from other counties aren't gonna make things any easier for you. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, 
Keep your paws off of other people's things. You look with your eyes, not your hands, as my mother used to say. Keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands off other people's property. Remember, if you break it, you buy it. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.